Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name's Jeremy. And we're here to discuss, what is this? Giant Size X-Men number two. The all-new, all-different X-Men. minute mine says x-men number 94 oh what the heck oh you're right what's going on here oh wait i as i recall there's a story behind that and that initially giant size was supposed to be or did that there was supposed to be a giant size number two and they they changed their mind and decided to pick up where the x-men left off turn it into a bi-monthly series and uh this all happened in august of 1975 apparently so as I understand it, I guess there was enough of a success from Giant Size X-Men number one that it warranted the bi-monthly series, as you mentioned. So Len Wein and Chris Claremont had already plotted and done some of the scripting for Giant Size number two, which was going to have some things that we'll cover as we get into there. But when it was revealed that it would be a ongoing series, Chris Claremont was kind of like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have had some of those characters do some of those things. So he had to kind of rewrite some things as he went forward. And we'll kind of cover that. The other thing that happened is that uh, Roy Thomas stepped down as the uh, publisher, uh, whatever they call that, the editor-in-chief. Editor-in-chief. And Len Wein stepped in, or Len Wein. And um, he was, as a result, he was forced to drop a lot of his books, and he wanted to keep Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really care about X-Men, so he dropped it, and um, 24-year-old Chris Claremont stepped in. And as Chris Claremont has said, at least in the introduction to these, this was the first book that he had ever written. As we've seen in the podcast, there are several issues where he had uh, given ideas, but right, none that he had written. This is a Linween plot and a Chris Claremont script. And it is called the Doomsday Scenario. Doomsmith Scenario, even. <laughs> it is called the Doomsmith Scenario. <laughs> and I, I got to be honest, as we open up the book, um, I got a little confused as I was reading this because you get a picture of mostly all of, well, it's a mix of old and new X-Men. And then the professor is kind of looking at us along with the X-Men. But then there's this oddly shaped bald head in the side of the panel, <laughs> which, uh, it, uh, you know, I've read this three times. And this is the first time I was like, what is that? What's growing out of the professor's back? <laughs> Why, it's the professor's back. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a bald head coming out of his back. Well, it turns out it's like the professor's silhouette is creating a new panel. Uh, no, no, this is a mirror. Get out of here. Are you serious? <laughs> that is a mirror. You were looking at a, the reflection of the professor's the back of the professor's head. And that's what he's looking at, the X-Men. Well, like a little dialogue <laughs> box would help there. I didn't know that. Well, that's that's what that little part in the corner is for. Oh my gosh, it's right there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> this one, as we mentioned, is written by Chris Claremont, with uh, pl- plotted and edited by Lynn Ween. Dave Crockham is still the artist. Bob McLeod is the inker. Phil Rachelson, colorist, and Tom Orzachowski is the letterer. Wow, it's a whole, almost a whole different creative team. The most unusual fighting team of all time. Yes. So they are congregated after their last mission, and they have rolled up into the professor's office. Uh, 
I don't know, to have some sort of a debrief or something like that. Yeah, he's congratulating them. Mm. Good job, guys, and now we're going to train. Mm, yes. And uh, that's when Sunfire stepped in and says, you know, uh, not so much. He says, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this team will not include Sunfire. I did you a favor, and I'm out of here, and uh, I my duty is to my country and my emperor, so screw off. And as we know, this is the mistake that Chris Claremont found, so he did everything in his power to bring Sunfire back to <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> Hundreds of years later. <laughs> yeah, so Sunfire, he uh, he's not happy with it. Uh, but the professor's like, oh, I'm kind of surprised about it. What about you other new X-Men? Nightcrawler, Thunderbird, and Colossus? Are you going to stay? And uh, Colossus isn't sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Storm says, hey, why not? And Wolverine gives a kind of cocky, yeah, it beats what I was doing before. Sitting around Alpha Base waiting for a go call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there. So Sunfire's like, you guys are fools, and he leaves. And yeah, and he he also says, "Do not seek me out, and do not ask for Sunfire will refuse." Yeah, he's done. He's out of it. So the professor's like, "Ah, whatever. I didn't like him anyway. Let's talk to Banshee." And there we get a full page of Banshee like, "Eh, I'm not gonna do it." And then, "Eh, you convinced me. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm an old cop. I'm Irish. I'm older than all of you. Fine, I'll join your team." <laughs> and then we get this strange line where uh, the professor says, "Rubbish. Your hair's about as gray as mine. My hair that you cannot see because I'm bald." <laughs> Well, I don't, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe he, he doesn't has, have gray hair. Maybe he, he, <laughs> if he did have hair, it wouldn't be gray. We'll never know. Well, then the professor's like, then it's settled. We have a huge X-Men team uh, until Angel steps in and says, uh, excuse me, uh, pardon me. Got something <laughs> uh, to tell you. Yeah, guys, uh, we're, we're, we're out. We're done. All the old X-Men, that is. Uh, yeah, he calls them the old X-Men. And the, sad. and the professor's like, you're what? <laughs> you, you, you Warren, Gene, all of you? Why? He, there's no place for us, I guess. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Marvel Girl's starting to say we were kids back then. Mm-hmm. Now we're older. We don't really have a place here anymore. You helped us grow, but now we're grown up. And Wolverine interrupts and says, look, lady, you guys want out that belly, then go split Take off. What do we care? Just spare us. Do us all a favor and spare us the soup opera. And uh, Iceman's all like, why you? <laughs> Listen, midget. I'm going to slam you. And they're about to, uh, they're about to, they're throw about down. to scuffle. And, and Cyclops says, that's enough, both of you. And then I said, that's enough. Absolutely. Nobody interrupts him, but he needs to. <laughs> he just keeps going on. He just assumes. You're out of line, Wolverine. I mean, it's it's interesting. Maybe Marvel Girl has finally realized that they graduated in issue five. <laughs> <laughs> They've just been hanging out here for so long. And she's like, you know, it is kind of weird hanging out with this creepy old guy. Yeah. Maybe we should move on and get lives and do stuff. But, eh. Havoc asks Cyclops, so what are you going to do, big brother? Big bro? And we then, Cyclops says, I'm, I'm going to sleep on it. And in fact, he doesn't sleep on it. He uh, He turns into the Cyclops we all know and love. Where he starts moping and thinking and then he shouts out into the night killed by my eyes my cursed mutant energy blasting eyes that of course is in <laughs> reference to he dare not forget about his eyes because someone might get killed right yeah. and uh <laughs> apparently he wakes everybody up and everybody's like shut up they're like it's five we're out of here like this is uh, every night with him <laughs> it's the same thing 
Damn these like, eyes! Marvel Girl's like, this is why we don't sleep together, Scott. <laughs> Every night. So they leave. Um, Marvel Girl confronts Cyclops one last time and says, are you sure you're not going to come with us? I thought you would go, but I'd hoped. And then they kiss. Mm. I love you. I love you. And then she is gone. It's the and first. the man called Cyclops is alone. It's the first uh, real kiss for her. Yeah, it's Cyclops and it's, Marvel it's Girl. shocking. It's 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 apparently their first kiss ever, and this is why Cyclops is. Wait a minute. Uh, I I think I may have made a mistake <laughs> in that choice. Well, the new X Men wave them off, and uh, I got to ask you, what do you think it is? What is the glue that is keeping this team together? Well, according to this, it's that they they fought together, they faced death together. And that has forged a special bond between them. Yeah, they only had one battle. I kind of liken this to, like, uh, the monkeys, for example, right? The monkeys came together. They had a TV show. They sang some songs, sort of. Yeah. Uh, they, they actually tried to tour. But at the end of the day, any monkeys uh, interviews you watch, they're like, you know, unlike the Beatles or other bands, like, we were put together by somebody. Mm-hmm. We, we weren't. We weren't friends in high school or college and yeah. then formed a band. So, like, we left and went our separate ways. I kind of feel like the new X-Men are like the monkeys. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I just kind of... Here we come. Maybe not. Walking down the street. We get the funniest looks from everyone we meet. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. And people say we monkey around. Well, anyways, they forged that uh, teamwork, and so Cyclops now introduces this new team to the Danger Room. The, the X-Men, X-Men Comics Commentary, Commentary Podcast. And, uh, yeah, he, he says uh, the object is to get across this room to the exit, and, you know, Thunderbird's like, oh, the, room, I got the room is empty. So you got to be kidding me, one eye. And he walks across, and then in the next panel, he flies out of the room. Well, if the room lets you. We get a little comedic panel there of a click where, what the, hey, let go, chaka chaka chaka, and then out goes Thunderbird flying. So it works on page, probably not in description. It's mildly humorous. I was belly slapping, <laughs> laughing. It's a, it's, a, it's a knee slapper. So apparently in the danger room, we get a, we get a full page montage of the X-Men training. And uh, apparently the X-Men uh, captured a computo. Or didn't they have their own? Didn't they have like? Didn't the professor build a a robot? Uh, I forget what its name was. Uh, you might be right. But they definitely had a robot. Okay. It was Colossus. Was it? Yeah, Colosso. Colosso. But didn't Colosso go out of control or something? Well, I'm sure the professor <laughs> didn't abandon Colosso. This is Colosso Mark Two. Okay. So this is the match we've all been waiting for: Colosso versus Colossus. <laughs> and and it, well, we don't actually see what happens, but Colossus <laughs> is about to punch Colosso. And there's other traps and training and punching and shattering and tentacles. We get, tentacles. we get to see everybody in action and, Cy- and Cyclops is in the, in the middle with his mouth open shouting. Yep. Go team. Wolverine, duck. Banshee, look out for that. Nightcrawler, do your bamf thing. <laughs> Which he has not yet done. No. Uh, in the dialogue, we're told that this is weeks upon weeks of six hours of training every day, and they've fought like they've never fought before, and they can't believe that after all of this time, they weren't a team. At some... I, I think they're just trying to build up like a team. Yeah, exactly. And then in the last panel, the six outcasts and forges them into a team. Yeah, I think it's a little early to, to call them that, you know? 
Well, I think this whole issue is kind of about this whole team structuring and and what the results of that will will play out on the page. Sure. So they've been training so hard and they're so tired that uh, and Cyclops is pushing them so hard that at some point Thunderbolt gets blasted in the leg by a Thunderbird, laser. Even. Thunderbird. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, they get mad at each other. Yeah, uh, Banshee tries to help, and he says, Back off, Shamrock! I don't need any help. Not from you, not from anybody. I'm okay, one-eye. He's got a name for everybody. <laughs> I hope he sticks around for a long time. Yeah. We he's, can find out all the names he calls the X-Men. He's like the guy on Lost who has a name for everybody that, that you've never seen <laughs> I've Lost. I've not so. seen Lost, so that's Lost on me. So, uh, Cyclops... Or, um, They're about to get into a fight. Mm-hmm. So Thunderbird says, I'll rearrange your face! And... Uh, Cyclo- uh, the professor jumps in with a telekinetic presence. His head like shows up like right here. Yeah. Stop fighting, Adam and Jeremy. <laughs> Shut up, man. <laughs> uh, and he orders Cyclops to come to my office for a scolding, and he orders Thunderbird off to the infirmary. Mm. And Thunderbird's all like, oh, I lost it again. She yeah. looks at Storm, and he's like, why are you looking at me? You like looking at losers? And she says, I see no loser John Proudstar in this room. I see only a man. Little does Thunderbird know she's looking right past him at Wolverine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and it's chapter two. Death or Valhalla High. Reminder. Is is that like a high school? (laughs) Valhalla High. Since it was a giant size, this is broken up into multiple chapters. Right. Uh, there, There is mention that they had to kind of rejigger some of the yes. structure in order to make it fit into the two issues. So Valhalla High is apparently a top secret base that has, it's a government installation. It's got a 100 megaton thermonuclear bomb in the bottom. Uh, in a high school on top. In a high school on top. Good football team. <laughs> uh, they're building a lacrosse team, but it's not going so well. Uh, and it's also NORAD. So they've got bombs, missiles, and all the tracking devices you could possibly want for a U.S. government installation. And it's mail call time. Oh, yeah. Heads up, Joy Boys. Mail call, mail call. Everybody gets excited. Oh, I like it. Oh. And so the bald-haired guy, it's always the bald-haired guy, <laughs> gets the only package, and it's a, a uh, box that has a button that says, press me. And of course, if you're in a U.S. installation, <laughs> top secret, and somebody sends you a package with a button on it, it's mysterious, and it says, press me, the first thing you do is what? Throw it away? Um, Have it sent in for some analysis to make sure that it's not a bomb or a trap or something? Mm, no, no. no. What, what do you do, Adam? I, I think I'd calmly press it while talking to my coworkers. <laughs> yeah, you make a little joke. Maybe that's the Raquel watch doll you wanted for Christmas, Joe. Click. <laughs> Very funny, so help me if you clowns. Oh, my God! And that's when we get our first appearance of the Annie Men. The Annie Men are a rooster, a gorilla, <laughs> a cat, a dragonfly, and a frog. And this is this is this is a bad sign for the X Men. It's <laughs> this is where the the comic is going. I don't think we have much of a future. No, we're getting canceled in a few issues. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. Each of these animals has weird uh, antennae things coming out of their ears. Yeah, little antennae. <laughs> Uh, and, okay, like so the, the radio controlled or something. What's happened is the button opened up a portal, and through that portal came these Animen. 
Uh, oddly enough, like in most of these comic books, when you get a whole new group of people, you get little labels as to what their names are. We do not get that here. Uh, through dialogue, we will learn what some, if not all, of their names are. Yeah. We'll, we'll try to point them out as we go along. The Animen qu- make quick uh, work of the soldiers, two groups of soldiers, actually. And once they're done, their their leader, who we should recognize, shows up. And uh, this is when we get some of their names. Uh, Dragonfly is the uh, red dragonfly-like girl, and Croaker is the frog. Ah, those are pretty obvious. I think I'll be able to remember those. Well, the leader that we should recognize is none other than Count Nefaria. That's right. He's the lord and master of this group. And... I guess what, what had happened, is, as I had read it in some of the backstory, is for Giant Size number 2, they wanted to bring it back to the old series to try to bridge them together and yes. then move forward. So they didn't want to do Sentinels. They didn't want to do Magneto because he is a baby, mm-hmm. <laughs> as we last <laughs> left him. So I guess... They I reached really... back into the annals and pulled out what the essence of the old X-Men were. Who were the core villains? Who were the ones that made the fans buy the issues? Wait, Count Nefaria? Yeah. If it's not going to be Sentinels and Magneto, you got to go to the Nefaria route. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. And we even get uh, a, a brief uh, synopsis of the last time he appeared back in X-Men 22 and 23 with a, a small panel of the porcupine and all I don't, of those I don't others. remember anybody else's it's, names you have the onion head man scarecrow and joe scarecrow and the flower guy jewel head <laughs> guy yeah i don't know so yes uh, and i i thought it would have been kind of neat if uh count nefario was like oh i created you from them but he didn't no he he actually stole them from some sort of uh well, he escaped from prison and began planning a new calling in old depths and using magia science to create stronger allies. So I guess he found these various creatures, put them in tubes, applied magia science to them, and yeah. created his anti-men. Well, he was working like he he had re- he had ties to the magia back in X Men twenty two and twenty three. What is the magia? It's like a nickname for the mafia or something, but it's like the Russian mafia or the oh. or the Polish. Is mafia. it a real thing or is it a comic? Book I think thing? it's a real thing. Okay. I could be wrong. All right. So uh, his plan is to, uh, last time he was going to take the uh, city of New York hostage, uh, this time he's going to take the world hostage. Who who was it that Count Neferia was? He was some old, ancient somebody or other. I don't remember. Yeah, he was somebody. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, anyways, so Cyclops, he's sitting in his apartment or bedroom or something. His sulky chair. <laughs> You know, I guess this is the first time we've really seen... I guess we got a lot of changing montages in the old series, but this is the first time where he's just kind of kicking back in his room. There's a lamp there. He's got a comfy chair. And you know he's sitting there. He's thinking, oh, these eyes. They're probably going to kill somebody someday. (laughs) And Why was I cursed with these eyes? Before he can get up and say, my eyes! (laughs) My powerful eyes! Nightcrawler interrupts him. And uh, he was... Why does he interrupt him? Well, he, he was wondering if... if um, he, I guess he just wanted to talk. It, it would appear that he wanted to talk about his argument with Thunderbird and how upset... So it, it's not a very well-written piece, bit of dialogue here. I guess, yeah, since they're, drawing, they're, they're creating a giant size, they're just creating a little bit more exposition. Essentially, Nightcrawler wants to know if Cyclops was upset about their fight. And Cyclops says, yeah, 
I was upset. Of course I was. We were careless, and I was responsible for Thunderbird. Uh, so, yeah, okay. The professor once again appears with Whoop. his magic uh, little head thing and uh, says, Adam, you got to come to the danger room. <laughs> Get out of my face, professor. Oh. And Kurt even says, I think, my friend, that I, I remain an X-Men to my dying day. I will never get used to that. Hmm, foreshadowing. Mm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> three, 400 issues later. Um, so we turn on the local news and their broadcasting is Count Nefaria, who's at the Valhalla Command Center. And he basically says, give me all your money. Consumer it to what your national uh, worth is. Yeah, I demand a ransom from each nation on Earth. The amount to be determined by each nation's ability to pay. That's, so he wants all the money. <laughs> not a certain amount i just want it all to my question is like okay i get it you're in control you 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 have all the missiles the codes and all that sort of stuff let's say you get all of this money what do you do with it then what nobody <laughs> has any money so are you really the most powerful person in the world or are you just a guy with a whole bunch of worthless paper yeah, what, what are you going to buy? What's the point? Because everybody else has to live and they have to go on, so they're going to go to like a barter well, system or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. What everybody else is going to do is start using rocks as money or something Leaves, like that. There's something. I don't know. And there there are like uh, tribes that use rocks for sure. money. Like huge, heavy stones. I wonder if he wants a portion of those. So Count Nefaria <laughs> walks in. He's like, I would like your finest meats and bread. And he lays down a big pile of money and they're like, I well, I don't need this. What what is this like? <laughs> is this kindling? Should I set the sunfire? All right. Well, anyways, he's got a a, a ring that says "in" on it for Nefaria. Of course he does. <laughs> so he, if he doesn't get all of that money, he's going to launch the entire inventory of nuclear missiles. Nice guy says Wolverine. Wonder what he does for an encore. Uh, so we have three hours. The entire world has three hours to figure out how they're going to wire them all of their money. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't seem like a realistic time frame, but anyways. Beast shows up. Yeah, Beast is a member of the Avengers now, and uh, apparently the Avengers are too busy to deal with this. <laughs> the entire world is held <laughs> ransom, and the Avengers are like, eh, we're on holiday. <laughs> but Beast is like, yeah, we, we can't do it because we're busy, uh, and you should do it. Yeah, uh, and, he's, go. and he also says, what happened to the X-Men? Oh, and the As professor's like, like, this is the new X-Men. He's like, okay, why don't you go handle this? Like, <laughs> These are the X-Men, Hank. Are you stupid? <laughs> and he's not like, oh, we should have a talk. Like, do I need to come visit? Where are they? Is there a forwarding address? <laughs> I would really like to talk to Iceman. It's been a while. No, none of that. Well, Cyclops rounds up the troops, and... Uh, he, and he, he, he wants to leave Thunderbird mm -hmm. behind. But Thunderbird says, you want to try saying that through a mouthful of knuckles, one-eye? I'm going. And then the professor says, there's no time to argue. Just Thunder take him. I'm going to undermine your total authority, Scott. Just Thunderbird can go. And I think in somewhere we were reading about undermining of Cyclops' authorities, but apparently that doesn't matter. The <laughs> professor can do whatever he wants to. Right. Uh, so they jump into their plane, which is not called a Stratojet No, anymore. it's a Blackbird now. Yeah, so in the next panel... Uh, they get engaged by some U.S. fighter jets uh, who identify it as a Blackbird. Yes, and uh, they immediately contact them, and uh, they say that we're responding to the Avengers' call. And uh, the, the general says, Figures, I, I might have known you muties would show up with Nefaria around. Well, I got a little confused here, and I was going to look this up, but I got lazy. Uh, 
So they do that whole thing back and forth, and then Cyclops is like, Tac-10, Roger, hello, John, General. It's been a long time, and he's referring to General Fredericks. Been a long time like they've met before. Is this the same general from X-Men number one, maybe? No. I don't know either. And, uh, yes, that's when we get some of the bigotry of the, oh, I figured you mutants would be here. Well, go ahead, give it a try. Right, exactly the same as they did when they encountered Magneto. So do you think it's the same general? No, I, I, oh. I don't know. Okay. But, but it, it's interesting that you pointed that out. I, I feel like it's sort of a callback without actually being a callback. I wish there was like a little asterisk here to denote exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. But there's not. So the uh, X-Men fly in towards the mountain, and uh, there's some dialogue. But uh, Oh, and Count Nefaria recognizes the airplane because the airplane has that little X-Men on the tail. And he's like, <laughs> oh, the X-Men. Oh, this is delicious in its irony. I get to take out the world and the X-Men who defeated me before. Won't he be disappointed when none of the X-Men are the same <laughs> X-Men? Who are these people? <laughs> like, what? Uh, I got Cyclops. I recognize him. Yeah, I'll take him, I suppose. So he launches some bombs from the mountain. Are these the nuclear missiles he was referring to? I sure hope not. <laughs> it would make for a very short series. Cyclops, they've fired like, missiles. This There should be a what if. Like, what if X-Men 94 was nuclear missiles, and this all happens, and they, they go off, and now it's like a post-apocalyptic world <laughs> with the X-Men, and now they're just fighting for their survival? That'd be awesome. You could start a whole different tangent of X-Men. Come on, Marvel. I'll write it. <laughs> I'll write it. I'll, I'll do a podcast about it. You could it. co-write it, Adam. Like, you could be the dialogue guy. I'll, I'll just do the podcast. Oh, okay. This is the worst <laughs> comic ever. No, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just interview it's so you. stupid. <laughs> so, Jeremy, what were you thinking? Why did you do this? I told you already. You were there. <laughs> All right, so the Blackbird is being chased by missiles. Three missiles, and Cyclops pulls some maneuvers and manages to uh, could get get, the, get two of the missiles to hit some rocks. Yeah, side of a mountain, I think, maybe. Wolverine says, nice try, boss man. Too bad one of those little futzers got away. What's a futzer? You mother futzer. <laughs> I'm going to rip your throat out, futzer. Somehow I don't think Wolverine would say that. <laughs> Uh, and the missile um, hits the Blackbird's, one of the Blackbird's engines. Uh, but that's okay, because Cyclops uh, hits the eject button, which kind of ejects the cockpit out into its own little glider. Which also be. says X-Men on the fin. <laughs> so when the professor ordered this thing, <laughs> was he like, look, I, I know I want to have X-Men on it, but I am in no way affiliated with the X-Men. I just love the team. Could you do that? Could you just spray paint that on the back? Thank you. Cyclops says like, oh, we have another chance because uh, he, he, he must have thought that we blew up because he saw the rest of the thing blow up. Uh, but but that's not what happened. Yeah. <laughs> like in the very next panel, uh, Nefario's like, what? They live. Well, fine. I'm going to use my... Well, wait, wait, wait. Oh. Then he says, how many times must I kill them before the cursed mutants finally stay dead? Once. Try once. You have to kill them in order to kill them. Right. I don't think in the last appearance of Nefaria there was even a thought that he would have <laughs> killed them. So Exactly. So it's, it's just like... What? <laughs> think before you speak. That That's our lesson to you. Okay, right. So then he decides that he's been wasting his time or something with the missiles, so he uses his sonic disruptors, which happen to have been installed in Valhalla. Oh, yeah. And it took me... There's only two panels left in the comic book, but it took me a, 
a little bit to understand what had happened. And the sonic disruptors just zap away the ship. Yes, which begs the question, why didn't he use them in the first place? No kidding. But maybe the ship wasn't close enough? I don't know. And I'm just trying to also understand the logic behind, like, he zaps the ship, it disappears, and the Axemen are now in free fall. Why isn't there anything else? Or why wasn't their clothes beamed away? Or what's... How did it only target the ship and not... Why are only the X-Men left behind? I I don't know. Mm. Why isn't Storm flying? I don't know. But it's the end of the issue. Yeah, next issue, War Hunt. Bam. It seemed awfully quick. Oh, that was a, that was a pretty quick one. What did you think? Well, um, not as good as Giant Size. Nope, definitely not. Kind of a rocky start for the new series. Do you think if this had been Giant Size number two that there would be more X-Men after this? Or is it just, it's too hard to say since there were in there. Well, I've read the next part. Um, I don't know. I mean, was the idea for the original Giant Size series to be like a quarterly release or something? Or I mean, they weren't going to do a monthly 30 or 64 page or however long it is issue were they no no i i think they were just gonna see how it goes and then i guess it, it must have gone well okay but yeah i don't think i think if this comes out as giant size number two uh the sales might have still been strong so i think they would have been given a third chance but i think they would have gotten a lot of letters like what <laughs> like this was not as good what happened <laughs> like you had a really good thing going why nefaria <laughs> where did that come from uh next you're gonna like giant size number three is computo like literally computo comes back with the ogre <laughs> and the return of factor three and quasimodo quasimodo they all come back for a reunion um yeah no it doesn't go anywhere so i think because they're already in a monthly cycle or bi-monthly cycle i should say uh, they get a pass on the first couple of issues. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, it's not Chris Claremont's fault because he, yeah. he he was like already working with a plot that had already been developed for him. And you have to wonder how much did, was Lynn Wein able to put in this with all the stuff going Changes, on in the background yeah. and Marvel. So. It growing yeah. pains. Yeah. Definitely chalk this issue and the next issue up to chalk, uh, growing pains. A couple of things I wanted to uh, mention. Issue 93, mm -hmm. uh, which of course was a reprint. Uh, I believe it was a reprint of the issue right before they go to the Avengers. It was a, the one where Magneto dies mm -hmm. as he's falling into the water. I had often wondered, like, what does it say for the coming next? Mm. Uh, and I, I found out. It's not very exciting, but it says, find out how this ends in giant-sized X-Men number one. <laughs> so it, it, and it, in, in reality, the issue continues on in one of the Avengers issues. I can't remember which one. Right. Uh, so I almost wonder, like, were they going to bind the rest of the story up into giant-sized X-Men number one? Or were they going to tell the story they told and then put that is the um, backup story in giant-sized one? Or were they merely trying to convince people to buy giant-sized number one? Good point. But it literally says, like, this story continued in giant-sized X-Men number one. So the backup story in giant-sized X-Men number one is not that. It's actually the old origin tales of the four X-Men minus Marvel yes. Girl. And I think it has the, these are my powers. I am... This story was written by a woman. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> that <laughs> My story. My real power is turning boys' heads. Exactly. Uh, so some interesting things there. Um, Giant-sized X-Men number two is actually uh, issue 46 and 47, the two Sentinel issues by Neil okay. Adams. I don't know if those are the exact issue numbers, but that's what giant size number two actually is. Okay. 
So there's, yeah, I think we're all caught up history-wise. Yeah. And yeah. now we're ready for a steady run of X-Men. I killed a man, they said, so they said. I killed a man, they said, so they said. I killed a man, they said, and I smashed in his head. And I left him laying dead. Damn his eyes. So... This is the portion of the show where if you are done listening to like the main stuff and you don't really want to be bothered with the classic retcon stuff, well, you should keep listening. We're, we're good. We're funny. Why don't we call it Classic Danger Room? Eh. Hmm. We'll come up with a name. Actually, let's, let's put it out to the audience. Audience, we would like a name for the classic portion of the show. Yes. Send us your submissions to www.redcatproductions.com forward slash danger room. Or you could put them on the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Or twit us at Danger Room Go. Or you could email us at dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. Send us your submissions for what we should call the craptacular classic Danger Room stuff section. That, we're not calling it that. Oh. That started off good, but ended terribly. <laughs> Welcome to the Cracktacular Danger Room stuff. <laughs> stuff and junk. Okay, so we're doing a classic X-Men number two, which is from October 1986. Uh, the first thing that we get that's new in this is a the there was a splash page in the last one that was the Danger Room training session, and now we get to see more of the Danger Room training session. Honestly, I got uh, we get we, we get to see a Bamf. Yeah, there's a BAMF, but again, it's not real until you see it in like the main series. What do you think the motivation for all of this is? Well, I think for this particular thing, it's Chris Claremont wishing that he had been able to plot the original issues. He was probably like, oh, I just threw a lot of word balloons on that page, and I really wish I had more time to do something a little different. It's the George Lucas effect. Do you think this adds anything to Absolutely the o- not. <laughs> overall story? As Star Wars has proven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you instead of one splash page, you get two full pages of the various things that they were doing in that splash panel. And a lot of dialogue and reaction and I don't know. Um, yeah, what happens is the Cyclops says, think fast and a huge... Uh, mm -hmm. I don't even know what this is. A huge uh, wall comes out of the wall (laughs) and smashes into Cyclops, who survives. Not Cyclops, Colossus. (laughs) Colossus, rather. So it's heading towards all of the X-Men, and all of the X-Men use their various powers to get out of the way, except for Colossus. Well, who does use his power, but just doesn't get out of the way. But the rest of the X-Men are like, oh my god, Cyclops, you better not have squished him. And it turns out that the Colossus is okay. And then in the next page, we, we, we see the, the same fighting we that we on. saw before, but we just did get different art for it, essentially. Or Wolverine says, are you okay, Colossus? <laughs> of course, I am solid steel, Torarich. I think very little can harm me. So he's turned into Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> is he made out of solid steel, or does he have just steel skin with like blood vessels and bone underneath? What do you think? I think... Because if you were solid steel, I mean, you would be... You'd be really heavy. You'd be super heavy. You wouldn't... But, he wouldn't be able to be on the Blackbird in his Colossus form. But again, through. you're putting too much science into these mutant powers. I mean, I like Colossus, and I think he's a cool character. I guess I think his power is 
very unrealistic. Because look at those metal bands. Again, it goes back to like the Juggernaut's helmet, where it's like, these are mystic Sidorak things that I've been given, but there's like pop rivets in his helmet holding it onto it. Like that seems like it was manufactured. Colossus to me looks like he was manufactured because he's got those rings around his legs and his arms, which makes a stylistic effect, but just doesn't seem to quite make sense. Yeah, um, I'm going to stick with my, my what I said before, and I think you're just overthinking it. <laughs> okay. Um, or maybe he's got like steel blood and steel bones <laughs> and steel veins, and he's got liquid metal in him coursing through his veins. Last last issue, you questioned the legitimacy of Storm's power. <laughs> this issue is Colossus. Next oh, issue is going to be Banshee. Probably. <laughs> he can fly by screaming. It doesn't make... Okay. Yep, and so Computo or Computron, Colosso, Colosso whoever he is. Uh, I wish Chris Claremont would have assigned this guy a name in this panel so we, we would just know, but we, he doesn't. Uh, we, we get something that's kind of interesting. Colossus says, uh, Comrade Wolverine, maneuver seven. And it's a fastball special, but they don't yet refer to it as a fastball special. Right. So kind of interesting. Clearly done on purpose. But meh. <laughs> and then that bleeds right into um, Thunderbird getting hit by the laser. Yes. And then we get our next retcon after that whole thing when the professor came in and said, go to my office, Cyclops. We actually get to see him in professor's office in which there's a lot of dialogue. The main takeaway <laughs> of this is that Cyclops admits that he is in love with Jean and then maybe he made the wrong choice. Okay. And then we get the professor saying, hmm, maybe uh, maybe I made a mistake in allowing you to stay, he thinks to himself, but I need you, uh, but I better not give you advice. I better let you decide for yourself. So it's actually, it, it's, a, it's a nice balloon because it, it makes the professor sound like he's about to be all dickish, but it, then it turns out that he... He isn't going to be dead. It humanizes him because he does really take a mentorship approach and say, look, I could tell you what to do, but you got to figure this out on your own. Right. In the top panel, there is a head bust of a woman. Do you think it's Jean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> All right. No, maybe it's on the next page. We get this random insert of Moira McTaggart. Do we know that it's Moira McTaggart yet? Uh, does it say? Yeah. Yes. Lady Moira. Yeah. And, and she's giving Reigns, Ron, Reigns, and Claire. I don't know how you a uh, a ride on a horseback, and yeah, and then the 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 Reverend Craig says, "Moira McTaggart, put that, put my ward down. You're not allowed to give her a ride because I I'm very strict." And then she gets a telegram from Charles Xavier. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I think this sets everything up for X-Men number 96, except for Rain. I don't know how she fits into this whole thing. But Moira, I th again, this is the spoiler section. So if you didn't want to know this, you shouldn't right. have been listening. Uh, but Moira makes an appearance in 96. So this is the letter that she received, I guess. So I, I guess I'm curious, as we go through these classic X-Men issues, uh, is he going to randomly insert various new mutants to lead up to the formation yeah, of the mutant knows? team? Probably. I mean, this is very much like in the scene in Empire Strikes Back where they there's a scene that George Lucas added where Darth Vader 
boards a ship. Yeah, which is completely needless. I guess it bridged the two scenes because. Well, right, because in one scene he's yeah. in this ship, and then the next scene he's in this ship. And but it's you know like, what? Oh, how did he do that? This is an outrage. <laughs> it's a travesty of filmmaking. I got to be honest. Until they inserted that scene, which was wildly disjointing the film, yes. I didn't even notice that exactly. the, the two ship things exactly. going on. So I got to be honest, without this, I, I would never have thought about like, boy, you know, I wonder how Rain and Moira met. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if that's her name, how you pronounce it, but I'm just going to call her Rain. We'll look it up someday. Yeah. Okay. When it actually matters, we'll look it up. All right. Then we get Storm flying around and she sees Thunderbird running around. A lot of these scenes are pointing to this Thunderbird kind of idealizing and wanting to be as good as Wolverine. Cyclops mentions that in the Professor X scene. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make much sense because I don't get that from the actual issues themselves. I get it that they're like kind of similar in personality, but not that they're trying to one-up each other. Wolverine's kind of cocky, whereas uh, Thunderbird is hot-headed. Yeah, Thunderbird's just a jerk. So he's running at top speed and he's jumping off of a cliff when Storm comes along and gusts him back to the cliff and is like, what are you doing? And he says, Wolverine made the jump. And then Storm says something that we don't know yet. Yeah, that's true. But she says, his bones cannot break. (laughs) Meh. Meh. (laughs) And then it cuts back to the comic. That we just finished. And the, yeah, like there's no more inserted scenes. Yes. So then we go to the classic X-Men backup story, which is called First Friends, which I have a problem with. Okay. Uh, as a father, uh, you tend to, not tend, but some first parents will attend a class that's a, uh, um, held by the hospital, also called First Friends, <laughs> which is a bunch of two-year-olds like drooling on each other. So <laughs> First Friends. Well, I just, I hate this title. In this issue, Storm and Jean are drooling on each other. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, that's what happens. Storm is flying above New York, and I don't really know where this story takes place. I guess it could take place prior to this issue or after the issue. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Certainly not in between the issue. And she's going to go visit Jean Grey. For what reason? We don't really know. I guess Jean Grey invited her. And we don't know why. It's implied, sort of. It's not really said. Um, And there's, I guess, Storm was hesitant to come visit her because they don't really know each other. Right. And uh, Jean Grey admits to also being nervous. They're like giddy little schoolgirls. Or about to experiment with some <laughs> newfound desires. There are so many guys in the X-Men, says Jean. We girls have to stick together. I want to point out first, though, this apartment that she has is amazing. Oh, it's huge. She lives in Manhattan. She's got a huge deck. She's got this gigantic arched window that's a, that leads out to the patio. And then this gigantic loft she calls it but it's a huge apartment and she says i lucked out i used to be it used to this used to be an artist's studio which makes no sense oh well no that explains everything it must be some really uh it's a very rich artist who had paid the rent through the next 10 years so all i had to do is pose for him a couple of times and he gave me the apartment and she's sharing the apartment with private investigator misty knight yeah who at this time... We don't know. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so uh, Jean is like, yeah, Misty Knight doesn't know I'm Marvel Girl, so you're going to need to change out of that costume. Uh, and we were going to talk about this, but she apparently has the power to make her costume go away. Yeah, with a flash of lightning, her costume disappears. And, and she's naked. And she's naked, and Jean Grey makes a big deal out of it. Oh, and- <coughs> oh my. <laughs> Don't you believe in clothes? And then we get this culture shock. She, Aurora's like a fish out of uh, sea uh, in, a, in a world that she didn't make, that type of story. And she's like, oh, should I be ashamed of my body in this land? Incredible. As a telepath, I can sense it in her thoughts. It really doesn't bother her. So Marvel Girl strips down, you know, when in <laughs> Rome. No, no, she gives... Uh, uh, Aurora a suit and uh, makes fun of her size, I guess, and says, well, you're a size larger than me, but put this on, <laughs> which is like, well, that's rude. And Aurora's like, I'm not comfortable. Just don't breathe or sit down. You'll be fine. So I guess maybe we're establishing that like Storm is like not really about the superficial looks and clothing and would much rather have like a flowing robe to not constrict her or whatever, but... And that's when Misty Knight ra- arrives home. Homie! <laughs> Homies! No. no, I think she's saying... Uh, Y'all want to get high! <laughs> Misty Knight's just a horrible drug addict. No, when I initially read it, I thought she was saying homie. But like this is she, some 70s thing? Yeah, because... Homes? Yeah. But, but she's saying home, like, I just got home. Right. And, uh... <laughs> She's like, I had a great day and a huge case. Let me tell you all about it. And Jean's like, gotta go, gotta go shop. <laughs> gotta see you later. And drag Oh, Aurora and says, uh, uh, we can't stay. Talk later. Uh, Aurora's new in town. Had an accident. Leads later. So Misty's like, what? Did she take a crap in her pants? <laughs> what kind of accident did she have? Is she wearing your clothes? What were you doing <laughs> while I was out? So they go shopping. And Aurora is now wearing an entirely different co- uh, uh, uh dress it's like a sundress type yeah, thing it's a, it's a nice sundress yeah and uh a skateboarding pickpocket pushes aurora and grabs jean gray's purse and escapes but not uh before aurora's like i like ice cream <laughs> <laughs> so she's never had ice cream good lord <laughs> really have to do all this so yeah the guy the skateboarding punk steals the purse and marvel girl's like oh, i'm gonna get him because i'm marvel girl She's too far away to freeze him with her mind, and um, he goes into an underground subway. Uh, Aurora wants to follow, but kind of can't because she's claustrophobic. Which we don't specifically say. She goes and says, oh my god, it's dark, and uh, if I enter, I'm doomed in the whole... Well, you get the classic fisheye lens, everything's twisty-turny. It's kind of a cool panel, I'll be honest. And then Marvel Girl grabs the kid, uh, but apparently what she didn't realize is that she forgot to turn down her size screens, which is something else we don't know what is at this point. But if you let your size screens down so that you can try to track somebody and a whole bunch of new thoughts enter the area, you are just receiving them faster than you can process them. And as a result, she loses the kid onto the subway. Now, I like, I do, I mean, not in this context because it doesn't make any sense, but I do like the idea that as a telepath, you have to, you, you, you're not just omnipotently reading people's thoughts and right. planting thoughts. Like, you have to, like, always be concentrating to keep other people's thoughts out of your head. 
that humanizes, I think, the power. Yeah. But anyways, we're learning about it early in this classic X-Men. So uh, the punk gets away with a purse because she had to spend all that time putting up her size screens. Yep. And she goes, she, she leaves the subway disappointed and she says, I got clobbered. And uh, she wonders why Aurora didn't help her. Aurora's standing at the top of the stairs outside of the subway and she kind of accuses her. I needed you. And uh, Storm says, I forgive me, Jean. I, I do not understand, do not know, could not move. And Jean reads her mind and says, you were buried alive as a child. Your oh. mother died right beside you. How awful. And Storm loses it. How dare you read my thoughts? And again, another thing that's not established or explained, she is able to crack lightning, and that changes her into her, her battle costume. Yes. And apparently Marvel Girl can do the same thing. Does she change into her... Oh, yeah, she does. She changes... Uh, unless she was wearing it under her costume or her suit. Yeah, I think she was wearing it under her suit. Because if you look at her dress, she has short sleeves on her dress. And, oh, and yeah, there's yeah. the green costume underneath it. So Marvel Girl just always goes around in costume. I guess as you do. Yeah, as, as, <laughs> as, you, as you do if you're a super... As we learn from Banshee and... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she, she flies up there to find Storm and uh, they have an argument in the skies. And Marvel Girl apologizes, saying, "I didn't, I didn't mean to pry into your mind. It, it I was scared and angry, and I, uh, I have trouble controlling my powers sometimes. And I didn't, I didn't mean it. And I'm really sorry. And you're my friend, whether you believe it or not. Let's make out. <laughs> and they do in the skies, in the rain." Uh, so no, she says, uh, uh, storm calms down. She's like, Oh, I lost my temper. What have I done? I'm sorry. So they, they go back down to the ground and they're like, Oh, everybody will just think this was a localized shower. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but our packages are ruined. Let's go shopping again. And they go down into the subway together. I guess, I guess Aurora is going to take that chance. She's going to take that leap of faith. Both the leap of faith that Jean is her friend and that she can overcome her claustrophobic fears. It's a twofer. <laughs> and they're both wearing their costumes. <laughs> and that's the end of that craptacular backup. <laughs> you know, I remember how, I, I, I guess I understand why Chris Claremont wrote that. I'm not exactly sure what issue it is in. And again, we're in the spoiler section. But one of the issues that's upcoming features Storm and Marvel Girl in downtown Manhattan shopping and laughing it up like a couple of old friends. <laughs> and you now really... It, there's no buildup like we just had to like establish that friendship. But to me, it just didn't matter. To me, it seemed... like I, Maybe I'm kind of wishy-washy on this, but to me, it seemed like between panels, Marvel Girl would probably come and visit the mansion. And... Yeah. She would identify with the only other girl that was there. Yeah. Right? And and they would form a natural friendship. And they could talk like, oh, we were on this mission. And Cyclops was such a jerk. And Marvel would be like, yes, he is. He's so down on himself. And Aurora would be like, one day I'm going to lead this team. Even if I don't have my powers, I will beat him. And uh, oh, <laughs> uh, you know, and so they would naturally bond on something like that. Uh, so this, again, story serves no purpose. Yes. A story for its own value, and that's pretty much it. And so I guess when I was collecting X-Men, 
uh, I was buying Uncanny X-Men, and I knew Classic was on the shelf, but I never bought them. A, because like I was uh, talking about last episode, the, the I couldn't get past the artwork because it wasn't John Byrne or it wasn't mm. um, um, Mark Silvestri. It was Dave Cockrum, who's got a completely different style than those two guys. So I couldn't get past that. But second of all, the backup stories, it was all story, all talking, <laughs> no fighting. And yeah. when I was at that age, kind of wanted to see some fighting or good art. These have neither. <laughs> no, the back, I thought the backup stories are have good art. They're decent art. Um, they don't match quite as much as the. No, they don't. They definitely don't match. But I, I think they're they're a nice style. They're kind of. To a, me, they seem quickly drawn. I think it's John Bolton. But it is John Bolton. I don't know if that's his style. Yeah, probably. But it seems like I don't know if he doesn't have an anchor, or if he's inking his own work, and he's doing it really quick. But it's like a level of detail in the backup stories, artwork wise, that doesn't seem to be there in the rest of the issues. Yeah, now we're going to do Giant Size number four. It's a, uh, a small story in that issue, which is by Chris Claremont. This issue is from 2008. So we're jumping way ahead again. And it's called Finding Home. It's got my favorite artist, Rick Leonardi. Oh, is that a fact? No, I do not like Rick Leonardi art. Although that was as a kid again, so maybe... Maybe I'll grow fonder of him as he does random uncanny X-Men fill-ins and this issue. I feel like he is an artist who, as time goes on, he has gotten better. Okay. Well, he's got a style onto his own, that's for sure. So the cover of this one is uh, most of the new X-Men minus Storm and Thunderbird, uh, kind of standing above the mansion while Storm and Thunderbird seemingly fight below them. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, and yes, it's called Finding Home. Um, but it's by Chris Claremont and Rick Leonardi, uh, writer and arting. Uh, Jimmy Palmiotti inking, Paul Mounts coloring, VCs Joe Carmania letters. Salvador LaRocca is, does that cover. Okay. And uh, that's enough for now. So it is, I don't know exactly where this takes place. I, well, I maybe, this is, we're in the danger room, as it says in the upper left-hand corner. But is it the same danger room fight we saw earlier, or is it a different danger room fight? I believe that it takes place at some point during the training. Okay. So during that, however many weeks of training it was, this this mm-hmm. is when that takes place. Oh, okay, place. this is one of the training sessions. Yeah. So it's Storm and Thunderbird who are in kind of a localized storm within the danger room. And uh, Thunderbird cannot make his way out. Uh, And then we pull out a little bit and realize that they're in the danger room. And it's a very small storm that's kind of surrounding only Thunderbird. Cyclops compliments uh, Storm for the storm and says, nobody else got wet. That's awesome. Good job. Next round, engage without powers. Yo, one eye. I don't fight girls, Thunderbird says. And then Storm <laughs> kicks him in the face. Holy crap, that's uncalled for. Kick. I am not a girl. I guess I guess he kind of deserves it for being a jerk. But, yeah. But man, I mean, she could just say I'm not a girl and maybe slap him or something. But she kicks him in the face. That's going to hurt. I know. I would be upset. And we'll, uh, So Nightcrawler and Wolverine have a little back and forth about their powers which kind of ridiculous because Nightcrawler's like, losing my teleportation doesn't affect my speed or agility. And uh, uh, Wolverine's kind of like taking this on as a dare. And 
apparently Wolverine is faster, but he uses his claws. Wouldn't that be considered his powers? Like, I thought the whole thing was speed and agility without powers. Yeah. I, I'm guessing that the usual stakes would be a case of beer, because I think as we go on in the uncanny, that's yeah. usually what the stakes That's another are. case of beer you owe me, Nightcrawler. Jawal. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> Uh, but Cyclops leans back and he's like, quit horsing around, you two. Get a room. And we cut back to the fight uh, still going on between Storm and uh, Thunderbird. It's a powerless fight. Yep. And well, Storm wraps her cape around Thunderbird and Thunderbird takes advantage of her cape and I guess body slams her. What? It, we, I think we've maybe established that Thunderbird's powers are strength, so is it really fair for him to engage a powerless Storm? Well, maybe this is a test against... This is just for Storm. Oh. This is, this is a thing for Storm. Okay. But uh, Thunderbird is playing too hard, and uh, he gets Storm down to the ground and says, Yield, and she says, No. And uh, right, rightfully so, Storm gets really upset. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and Wolverine busts in and says, You heard the Lady Proud Star, it's over. Wolverine, I... Don't talk, darling. A couple of breaths is what you need. And Thunderbird's like, Cyclops, did I do something wrong? Completely out of character. Yeah. You'd expect him to be like, Girl deserved it, one eye. Yeah, exactly. And Cyclops is like, You did fine, I made the mistake. Indicating that he should have like broken it up much earlier. Right. But they're training... Well, yeah, they're trading, so he doesn't know what's going to happen. It's just another case of Cyclops. This is a retcon, so who cares? Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and as it is a retcon, the very next scene is uh, Wolverine, uh, Logan, and who isn't established as Logan yet. No. We don't even know what his hair looks like at this point. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> he, he has yet to take off his costume. He is hanging. It looks like he's sharing whiskey or something mm-hmm. with Professor X, and they're like... Sitting by a fireplace, they're just, kind of just old talking. buddy buddy, and Wolverine's wearing a, a maple a maple leaf sh- uh, shirt. What, now, uh, yes, but some of this doesn't make sense because, as we read the X Men, I think we'll see that Professor Xavier just barely tolerates Wolverine, hmm. uh, and this this does certainly be like, well, this is the old times, buddy. Yeah, you and me been through a lot of stuff. I'm always there for you, buddy. Me too. Clink clink. Another round, yes. And we get the implication that Professor X is kind of helping Wolverine by going through his mind and, mm-hmm. and cleaning stuff up, which is something that eventually we'll establish. Right. Professor asks Wolverine to support Scott. Mm-hmm. And um, Wolverine says, okay. But but I'm, I'm a little crazy, aren't I? Coincident is it that me and Bro and Proudstar were what you call damaged goods? You still bent on rescuing lost souls? Thunderbird overhears this little conversation, which is mostly about him. So I don't know if we're establishing that, like, is this supposed to be like a case of a mistaken understanding where he's like, oh, nobody likes me. I better run away. A little bit. I think it is a little bit. I mean, I think that scene itself was about Wolverine, establishing Wolverine and uh, Professor X. But yeah, the next the next scene where Thunderbird is over listening, uh, listening in, he that's clearly uh, kind of a he, he hears he calls back to the whole damaged good things later. Mm-hmm. 
So then he goes and eavesdrops on Cyclops for some reason, who is having a telepathic commun- or conversation with Marvel Girl. Who is topless in this scene, it looks like. It certainly does. It looks like she's wearing some armbands, but yeah, yeah she's, she's topless. That's just weird. <laughs> Look, man, if I had a girlfriend who was telepathic and like nobody could see her and I could, like, she would be naked right now. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, this is so hot. And you'd be like, what are you doing? I'd be like, you don't even, I don't even care what you think about me right now. <laughs> but uh, she can, she, she, she is seen by Thunderbird. No, because, she's not. Because it says totally creepy, like Cyclops was talking to a ghost. Yeah, so he thinks, I mean, because uh, Cyclops is holding a telepathic image by the waist and then making out with the telepathic image. But he says, I interpreted it that he was literally hugging and kissing nobody. Well, see, I interpreted it as a ghost is a uh, translucent being. Okay. But, you know, you might be right. I might be right. I don't know. doesn't really say. doesn't matter. This is a retcon. (laughs) (laughs) So then Thunderbird, after seeing that, decides to uh, invade Wolverine's room and dig through his personal effects. And we get this sense that Wolverine is a slob on the outside, but it's actually... His slobbery is a way of keeping people out of his room uh, so that, I don't know, if, if it happens, if, if, if it happens that somebody invades his room, Wolverine will know. Right. But uh, John Proudstar here, he kind of delicately dances between the beer cans and the mess to not leave a mess and discovers that Wolverine served in, I don't know, Vietnam, Korea, one of the wars. Yeah. Is that Professor X in the photo? Sure. <laughs> as long as we're retconning things, it might as well be. I think Apocalypse is the left, the guy on the left. Yeah. <laughs> he all used to hang out. Yeah, and uh, Thunderbird's like, so you had a war of your own, eh? Me too. And then he thinks back to his past. Should have been me, Uncle Jack. I should have been the one to save you. I should have been the one to die. And it turns out the Wolverine is in the room meditating, meditating. in the other, in the other uh, area. Which... I know is in character for the character that we will establish, but the character that we have right now wouldn't meditate. True. So, anyways. That's why it's a retcon. So he goes now to visit uh, Storm, because I think he wants to apologize, but Storm's not there. And that's when the professor appears in his brain and says, uh, the knife that the knife on the wall that is... Or, Storm's only possession is a knife that she used to kill a man when she was hardly more than a child. Again, we'll learn about that much later. But And uh, when you tackled her, you struck a very raw nerve. And uh, that's when he says, damage good, something like that. It's her greatest secret. I don't tell tales, sir. Hers or yours. <laughs> and that makes me think that the professor is a dick again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh... Professor apologizes for Thunderbird's uncle, and Thunderbird's like, I shouldn't have been in Wolverine's room, <laughs> but it, I bet you Wolverine knows, right? And he's like, yeah, he knew. And then he's like, I'm an X-Man. We're all X-Men. And ah. this is when uh, the professor says Aurora isn't sure that she's staying, and J- uh, James Proudstar, Thunderbird, says, that makes two of us. Maybe she just needs something to show her how to put down roots is all, and he leaves her a cactus with a note that says, prickly on the outside, maybe even dangerous, but the meat and sweet water within can save your life, baby. Yeah, it's an awkward love note, but <laughs> uh, it definitely communicates the message. She takes her clothes off, and oh, wait, no. Yeah, uh, a completely needless uh, tale. I think 
certainly designed just to sell one more comic with the title Giant Sized X-Men. And it must have worked. I, I don't own that. Uh, I might own that issue, actually. <laughs> I can't remember. I definitely own issue three, which was a letdown. And so I probably bought this one, too. Sucker. Yeah. Doesn't even make sense because it's not like I have giant size one or two that I could put them with, like for the full set. I just have the two crappy ones. You should work on that. Yeah, yeah. If anybody wants to send me an issue of giant size X Men number one, just let me know on Facebook. Uh, yeah. So there you go. That is this issue, this episode. I don't know that there's anything else that needs to be said about this one. No, we are. Uh, we're pretty. We're pretty good to go. Um... Until next time, the danger room is closed. Change.